The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Welcome back, everybody. Another big day here in the great state of North Carolina. So we are going to pray together in the second segment because uh, last week, if you recall, last week, the uh, the North Carolina legislature passed the 12-week uh, abortion bill, so banning abortions after 12 weeks. A lot of restrictions on RU486, the abortion pill, and then, of course, Cooper and all his uh, demonic pride on Saturday. Downtown Raleigh with a bunch of pro-choice people, and then the pro-lifers were down there rallying as well. I was at Love Life in front of an abortion clinic in Raleigh with a bunch of my students at the same time, and uh, he uh, vetoed the legislation then right now in the North Carolina State Senate. They are uh, beginning to work on overriding that veto in the House. I heard from a House buddy, and they're uh, planning the vote for later this evening. And so this is a big deal. We're going to pray about this together because we want to see this legislation triumph here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, But one of my dear friends that's been down there on the sidewalks uh, for years as a sidewalk counselor and works with Love Life and, of course, with the Happy Warriors at Upper Room Church of God in Christ with our dear friend Bishop Wooden is uh, my sister in Christ, Sharon Dooley. He's actually down there in the legislative building and a great pro-life crowd down there today, which is a huge praise. Sharon, how are you? I am well. How are you? Doing pretty good. So tell me, kind of give me a little report. What's the scene down there? It looked like it was mostly pro-life people that were filling the balconies there at the legislature. Yes. So I earlier sent out a video, and I think the numbers have doubled, if not tripled. It's huge. Uh, You know, numerous people have come up and said this is unprecedented. Of course, you wouldn't expect it because I think a lot of churches are afraid to come out. Let's be honest, but there are way more pro-life supporters than there are uh, pro-abortion supporters. This is tremendous, and everyone that I've spoken to so far, like everyone in the know, has said, oh, no, it's going to pass. Yeah, so exciting, especially after all these years of being down there, Sharon. And as always, thank you for your valiant work with Upper Room and Love Life and just being down there reaching out to these moms and dads. And, of course, we would love to see a heartbeat bill, but this is a huge move in the right direction in North Carolina. Uh, but, but you know, it, it hasn't been easy. We like to think of ourselves as a quote-unquote red state. We like to think of ourselves as a, as a more conservative state, yet... We've allowed abortions up to 20 weeks, which is uh, butchery in and of itself and dismemberment. But what's it, what this what's this like for you, Sharon, personally, as a believer, as somebody that's been down there on the street fighting for life and fighting for these moms and dads? What is, what is this like for you? Well, I tell you, I would rather have abolition. Yep. I think everybody, of course, would because every human being deserves to live. But if we're going to start somewhere, let's begin to start somewhere. If it's got to be 12 weeks, that's fine, because that knocks out a lot of those surgical, those, those really torturous, without anesthesia abortions, right? And, and I think it will also put a huge dent on these uh, franchises and abortion mills all around the state. And yep. we should be able to work towards something 
uh, you know, next year that limits it even more. But this is such a blessing. I know many people say incrementalism is bad. But you know what? If we're, if we're going to take a step in a direction, let's take a step in a direction towards life. And I'm all for it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's really uh, and, and it is important to have that conversation. You and I both know and pre- would prefer absolute abolition, just get rid of it. Uh, heartbeat bill effectively does that, but there's still a little ways around that. Uh, and in North Carolina, they just the political lineup and the political will just isn't there to happen. And so, it, it, a lot of people will play this all or nothing, and I'd rather save some babies' lives than none. Uh, and and it's a conversation we can continue to have. But I think for the yeah. for the Republicans in North Carolina down there in the legislature, uh, you know, this is the first chance they've had to really do anything about it with a legislative supermajority. And they and they're going yeah. to today. Praise God. And so I'm with you 100 yeah. percent. It's a step in the right direction. <laughs> hey, can I just mention if anyone can after work come to the legislative building because they're going to start packing out. the. Uh, I think it's the Senate. I think we're in the House right now. And then the Senate vote. So both both houses need to vote today. They may drag it on and on and on, but we yeah. have been told the pro boards are going to try to pack out the house so that the uh, 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 supporters of life can't get in. So if anyone is available to come down, you won't waste your time. It's a moment in history that you won't right. want to miss. And uh, please come down and pray and uh, stand stand for these babies. Amen. Exactly right. And uh, head down to the North Carolina Legislative Building, downtown Raleigh. It's easy to get to. There's actually a decent amount of parking around there. But this is the this is where the rubber hits the road legislatively. You're where the rubber hits the road ultimately uh, all the time, Sharon. And I just uh, can never honor you enough and thank you enough for all of your years of tireless work down there for these babies, as well as the moms and dads. Uh, I love you and appreciate you and just uh, thank God for you. I love you, Steve. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks so much, Sharon. God bless. And uh, and th- that's the deal. So if you can get down there, just Google Maps, whatever one you use, Apple, I don't care, whatever. Just put in NC Legislature. That's all you need to do. It's right downtown Raleigh. And there is a decent amount of parking around there. And this this is why last week on Friday was saying, hey, listen, call, email, uh, visit, communicate with your legislators, especially if they're Republicans, and uh, encourage them. Say thank you for passing the legislation in the first place uh, because last week they were, they were a hundred to one, the pro aborts, the pro abortion crowd, the pro choice crowd was inundating the Republicans and the Republicans really weren't hearing much from, well, you and me in North Carolina, they were not hearing from their own base with a simple thank you. So that's, that's discouraging. I, I was mentioning this in my class uh, this morning, I said, hey, does it bug you guys if you do something nice and you're trying to be helpful and people don't say thank you? Does that bug you? And they're like, yeah, I can't stand people to do that. Right. Okay. (laughs) So they get it at 15. The rest of us have no excuse. Now, in my case, interestingly enough, both my representatives, because I live in North Raleigh and Raleigh is mostly blue, both my representatives are Democrats. And I emailed them both. And I did get a reply from the one, which I then replied to. I'll share that with you on the other side of the break. And then we also want to, I'm going to take some time in the second segment when we come back to pray together. Whether you're in North Carolina or not is irrelevant. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we always need to pray into this issue of life, especially as the Republicans are facing all this pressure. They can't lose a single Republican. It looks good, but we're going to pray for them when we come back right after this. 
young Since I was a little boy with a toy gun Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Boy, back there in the 70s when I was a little boy. Uh, do, do you remember the TV show SWAT? Remember that? SWAT, the, the, the SWAT team and everything. Really cheesy 1970s drama, police drama, the, the SWAT team. So we had uh, back there in Dearborn, Michigan, back in the day, I had somehow had a radio at our house that had a little microphone on it. So you could learn, turn that into like this little mini PA system. This is SWAT. Come out with your hands. All that kind of stuff, right? So, uh, and then loved, was infatuated with World War II when I was mm, elementary school. And so the thought of war, and this, I, I wasn't a believer. I didn't become a believer until I was, I was 28. Uh, but then you, when you become a believer, and then once you start waking up, you get spiritually woke. Then you realize that, yeah, you're in a war. And the perfect example of that is what's going on right now down at the North Carolina State Legislature in the House and the Senate. They passed a 12-week abortion ban, including a bunch of restrictions on RU486, which is uh, the abortion pill. And they passed that last week. Governor Cooper, in his pride moment on Saturday, vetoed that publicly downtown outside a little rally. Because, you know, that's what you do when you worship uh, Molech or Baal is you, you, you proudly display your uh, debauchery. And so that's what happened Saturday. And then today, right now in the House and the Senate, uh, they are uh, going to be voting sometime between now and 8 p.m. Sometime this evening, they'll be voting every single Republican, including Trisha Cotham, who's the Democrat that became a Republican not that long ago. Uh, that's a transition I can support, by the way. And... Uh, Every single one of them has to, they all have to hold together. And if they do, they have a super majority and they'll override Governor Cooper's veto. And tomorrow that will become the law in North Carolina. No abortions past 12 weeks and a bunch of restrictions on the abortion bill and a few other things. And that's all good. It's a step in the right direction. Not as much as we would like, uh, but certainly more than we've had here in North Carolina in a while, which is why our abortions since Roe versus Wade are actually up over 30 percent. Because in the Southeast, other states were able to get aggressive. They able, they were doing they did a heartbeat bill. Florida just did a heartbeat bill, which effectively gets rid of just about all abortions because most abortions are not done before you can determine a heartbeat. So that's just a, uh, a politically savvy way of banning abortion for the most part is a heartbeat bill. And so we became an abortion destination state. And so this is a big day for North Carolina. And uh, we're going to pray together here in a second, but this is just an example of uh, what we can do. So on Friday, I had mentioned, hey, uh, email your representative in the House and the Senate here in North Carolina. And especially if they're Republicans, thank them for voting for it in the first place and telling me stand with them. Some encouragement because they weren't getting much of that. My two, my two representatives in the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate, because I live in Raleigh, which is blue, they're both Democrats. So here's an example of what I sent Senator Grafstein. I said, I live in North Raleigh and wanted to mention two things. First of all, thank you for serving our district and state. As someone who has been in politics for nearly 20 years, I deeply appreciate your desire to serve the public and what is oftentimes a thankless job. Even though we do not align politically, I certainly honor your role and desire to serve. Secondly, I want to respectfully ask you to consider taking a stand for the lives of unborn children when the override vote comes up next week, meaning today. I know this is a very partisan issue, but the realities of life are not. They are just that, realities. Most Americans agree that there should be serious restrictions when it comes to abortion, and this bill addresses that reality. I understand the political pressure involved, but protecting the unborn rises above partisan politics and party platforms. If you're a mother or a grandmother, you know that instinctively. Thank you for your time and consideration. She actually replied. On Saturday, 
I was pleasantly surprised. Dear Mr. Noble, thank you for your email and for sharing your thoughts with me. I believe that the decision about whether or not or when to have a child is one of the most important decisions one can make. And every pregnancy is unique, which is why every person needs to make the decisions that are best for them, their health, and their family. Remember who they leave out of that. The bottom line is that the ban on abortion will harm many North Carolinians and is something that can be life-saving health care that should not be politicized or criminalized. Life-saving health care. To be very transparent, I will vote to sustain the governor's veto. I appreciate you reaching out to me, Lisa Grafstein. Uh, and then I decided to reply. Okay, so then um, that that this is what you do with public officials. You hold them accountable. Thanks for your reply. A few things. Number one, what about the life of the baby itself? Does that ever enter into your equation? Now, at this point, all I'm trying to do is plant some seeds here. That's all I'm trying to do. Number two. Less than 5% of all abortions are the result of rape, incest, or the life of the mother. 95% are purely elective. They don't want the baby. Your comment about the health of the mother is an outlier and applies sparingly, to say the least. Number three, is there another situation where you would support one person taking the life of another in order to make their own life better somehow? Do you consider abortion to be akin to self-defense? Number four, if a woman chooses abortion, she certainly does not need to wait until 13 to 20 weeks when the procedure becomes remarkably barbaric. Dismemberment is the process. If you are not familiar with those realities, I would encourage and challenge you to seek the facts. If a woman does not want her child, she simply has to abort in the first trimester, which is what most Americans support. To support anything after that is becoming increasingly distasteful to the majority of citizens. I look forward to the governor's veto being overridden, and I will do everything I can with my radio platform across the state to make that happen. In his service in your Steve Noble. Okay? And that's just... Is that going to go anywhere? Does that make a difference? I just think it's a matter of faithfulness. I think as a Christian, you have an obligation to try. And then you can lay your head down on the pillow at night and you've tried. And you can lay that before the Lord. You can say, I tried. Speaking of laying things before the Lord, let's just pray and finish up the segment praying for all the Republicans down state legislature. Father God, we just come before you thankful for your sovereignty, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought these men and women to the point where they were willing to pass legislation to end some of the abortions in North Carolina. Of course, we want them all ended. But we're thankful for the progress here, Lord, and just pray in these uh, upcoming hours that you would strengthen and encourage every single one of them. Thank you, Lord, for all the pro-life people, mostly probably people that know you personally, that are down there supporting with signs and with their presence, supporting these Republicans. Thank you for Trisha Cotham, who had the strength, Father, to uh, leave her party because they just would not allow her to operate independently at all. And I pray for her, Lord, that un under all this pressure, she would stand firm for life. And pray even now, Lord, that we, there are a few pro-life Democrats down there. Lord, I pray that you would just stoke their conscience, prick their conscience, so that they would choose you and your truth and these babies over their party. Or they'd choose um, principle over politics. But what, Lord, we just want to pray for every single Republican because they all need to vote the right way here. So I pray that they're deeply encouraged by the presence of your people down there and the presence of pro-life people. Lord, I pray that the pro-life people that are there are respectful and self-controlled. And Lord, we just uh, want to be able to celebrate this victory and uh, to glorify your name. So we pray that it will come to pass in the next few hours that in fact, will limit abortions to 12 weeks in this state. And then, Lord, I pray ahead, ahead of uh, in the future that uh, our legislators will be even more courageous and will seek to push the ball further down 
the field in order to eliminate all abortion in the state of North Carolina and just pray that you would blow the political winds in such a way that that can happen. But Lord, we thank you for victory. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your providence. And again, just pray a special blessing even right now over every single Republican, the ones that I know personally, Lord, and the ones that represent us, that they would stand strong and that they would feel your pleasure when they vote to limit abortion, Lord. Bless them. Give them the victory. And we ask all that in Christ's name. Amen. This is Steve Noble on The Steve Noble Show. When we come back, special counsel John Durham's report is finally out. When did that start? When Jesus ascended to heaven? Oh, my goodness. We'll go over that when we come back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Great to be with you. Keep praying when you think about it on the uh, legislature down in North Carolina as they seek to override Governor Cooper's uh, veto of the abortion ban starting at 12 weeks. So remember to pray for that as we go throughout the day. Uh, That could that could that vote might not happen until seven or eight o'clock this evening. Okay, so just stay uh, in a posture of prayer over that one and uh, talk about all these things in my classes, by the way, in my classes in general, U.S. history, world history civics and Christian ethics, which are geared towards eighth through 12th grades. Uh, I'm I'm almost 70% full for this fall, uh, which would be a total of 220 students, which would be great growth over this year. I just praise the Lord if we get there. Uh, But also if you're an adult, I always have adults every year. Hey, Steve, I wish I could take your classes. Actually, you can. You can audit the classes. And and this year I only had civics and U.S. history online in this fall. I'm going to have all four of them available online. U.S. history, world history, civics and Christian ethics. Christian ethics is one semester. So you, uh, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, whoever it may be, these are great classes. Not to sound all puffed up. I'm a pretty good teacher. And this is the content itself, a biblical worldview, all taught in real time, utilizing the news of the day. Pretty dynamic stuff. And God has just done great things in the classrooms and and the students and parents. It's just been awesome to watch all this happen and be a part of it for 11 years. So if you want to check that out, the easiest, I guess the easiest thing you could do is just text the word TRUTH to 66866. That'll kind of start the conversation. TRUTH to 66866. Or you can go to the website, nobleuschool.com. Noble U, like university. Nobleuschool.com. And there is an audit option there. Okay, you can audit. No homework, no tests. You'll just get access to all the classes uh, when I teach those starting in the fall. So check that out. Uh, very important. All right. So let's go here. Special counsel John Durham. Finally, this is the Wall Street Journal. Highly critical report on how the FBI handled allegations linking Mr. Trump to Russia in 2016. Here's some bullet points. It's from the Wall Street Journal. He said the Bureau swiftly pursued a vague tip about potential contacts between a Trump campaign aide and Russia authorities in July of 2016, even though the report says the Bureau had no other information in its files to corroborate any such contact. The Justice Department's inspector general in 2019 found similar flaws in the FBI inquiry, but found the investigation was justified. So going back to July 2016, this is during the election. And you have the FBI, the Department of Justice, operating politically to try to defeat Trump. Okay, remember that. That's a huge problem. Another point, he concluded the FBI was more cautious and skeptical of allegations of foreign influence on the Clinton campaign than on the Trump campaign in 2016. No! 
According to the report, the Bureau didn't aggressively pursue evidence of two instances in which foreign governments were potentially planning to contribute to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign to gain influence. Sounds like Biden. The speed with which the FBI opened the investigation into the Trump campaign based on raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence also reflected a noticeable departure from how to, to approach those other allegations, it said. The FBI provided briefings to the Clinton campaign, the report said, an approach it said stood in contrast to the lack of such briefings provided to the Trump campaign. Politicized weaponization. Third point, he concluded that the FBI didn't rigorously analyze information it received, especially from people in groups of political affiliation, prolonging the investigation and prompting the appointment of special counsel Robert Mueller. Mr. Durham said the FBI was overly reliant on investigative leads from Mr. Trump's political opponents. Of course, the whole thing was about getting Trump. Fourth point, he concluded that the FBI engaged in confirmation bias, no kidding, in which it discounted or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between Trump and Russia. The report described senior FBI officials as unusually involved in aggressively pushing the Trump-Russia investigation forward as the inspector general's prior inquiry had found. Now, remember, remember Stalin's right-hand guy. Show me the guy, I'll show you the crime. This is using political power to take out your political opponents. And when that starts happening, you don't live in the good old U.S. of A. anymore. You live in something else. This is the abuse of power. This is tyranny developing. The FBI's leadership has turned over since the Russia inquiry. FBI Director Christopher Wray instituted dozens of changes in 2019 and how the Bureau seeks secret surveillance warrants and handles other matters after the Bureau's inspector general pointed out a series of flaws in its efforts to monitor a former Trump campaign advisor. Attorney General Merrick Garland received the report on Friday, last Friday, and provided it to Congress on Monday, yesterday, without changes, he said in a letter to lawmakers, in which he didn't offer his own opinion on the conclusions. Of course not. 480 interviews, 480, a review of more than 6 million pages of documents, 190 subpoenas, and other actions. Mr. Trump once predicted that Mr. Durham's probe would reveal the crime of the century, a conspiracy among intelligence officials and law enforcement to undermine the 2016 presidential campaign. The probe's findings have fallen far short of that expectation, but it's still serious. The reactions to the report fell along partisan lines, of course. Trump said, quote, wow, on Truth Social, after extensive research, special counsel John Durham concludes the FBI should never have launched the Trump-Russia probe. That's correct. In other words, the American public was scammed just as it is being scammed right now by those who don't want to see greatness for America. That was Trump. Here's the FBI's statement. Having been caught <laughs> red-handed with political weaponization. Quote, the conduct in 2016 and 2017 that special counsel Durham examined was the reason that current FBI leadership already implemented dozens of corrective actions, which have now been in place for some time. The FBI said in their statement, had those reforms been in place in 2016, the missteps identified in the report could have been prevented. Could have, maybe. This report reinforces the importance of ensuring the FBI continues to do its work with the rigor, objectivity, and professionalism the American people deserve and rightly expect. Of course, that's what the FBI is going to say. Here's what DeSantis said. Uh, he's slamming away on this one, as he should. The Durham report confirmed that we, what we already knew. Weaponized federal agencies manufactured a false conspiracy theory about Trump-Russia collusion, DeSantis wrote on Twitter. It reminds us of the need to clean house at these agencies as they've never been held accountable for this egregious abuse of power. 
when he, when DeSantis was uh, representing Florida's 6th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives, he sent a letter in 2018 to then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions and FBI Director Christopher Wray, pushing them to criminally prosecute many of the players involved in the investigation. DeSantis pushed for criminal investigations into former FBI Director James Comey, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, former Acting Director of the FBI Andrew McCabe, FBI Agent Peter Strzok, and FBI Counsel Lisa Page. And uh, by some strange turn of circumstances, he gets to run against Biden. I hope this becomes an issue. You know Trump's going to bring it up, as he should. And I hope that uh, DeSantis, and I believe DeSantis would, and somebody's got to get in there and clean house because the FBI is out of control, which leads me to this. This was in The Federalist uh, today. The Durham report leaves no doubt the FBI is a mortal threat to democracy. Pretty strong words. The big takeaway from the report, this is in The Federalist, is that the Obama-era FBI launched a full investigation of the Trump campaign, codenamed Crossfire Hurricane, in the summer of 2016, despite having zero evidence of any collusion between Trump and Russia. Remember uh, Stalin's right-hand guy? Show me the guy. I'll show you the crime. Not only that, he writes, but officials at the highest levels of the U.S. government, including President Obama, knew that the entire false narrative that Trump was colluding with Moscow was completely made up by the Clinton campaign in an effort to weaponize the federal government against Trump and distract from Hillary Clinton's own email server scandal. The Durham report recounts how in August 2016, CIA Director John Brennan briefed Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, James Comey, and other senior intelligence officials on what the report calls the Clinton Planned Intelligence a scheme Clinton approved in July 2016 to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security services. And our leaders in the federal government knew about it. In other words, he writes in The Federalist, all of these senior officials, some of the most powerful people in the federal government, knew as early as the summer of 2016 that the Clinton campaign had a plan to whip up a scandal by falsely alleging collusion between Trump and Moscow. The FBI knew all of this, as did Brennan, yet they ignored it to keep Crossfire Hurricane alive along with the narrative that Trump was in bed with Russia. That fall, the FBI used the baseless dossier to acquire FISA warrants to spy on the Trump campaign. See how bad this is? This is horrible. I mean, even CNN's Jake Tapper, who was all about this stuff for a while, said, uh, the report is now here, it has dropped, and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hope for. It is, regardless, devastating to the FBI, and to a degree it does exonerate Donald Trump. Ooh, I bet that was hard for Jake to say because he was such a cheerleader for that hot mess. I mean, this is... uh, Beyond the statements, back to the Federalist. Of the media and the corruption of government officials, the Durham report is a sobering reminder that we can't sustain a self-governing republic under these conditions. True, I agree. When the law enforcement and intelligence agencies of the federal government can be used as a weapon to undermine an outsider candidate for high office, it means our republic is in grave danger. It means, too... That it would be better if we had no FBI at all than the corrupt agency we now have, which sees fit to traffic in actual disinformation, spread conspiracy theories, and throttle the democratic process whenever a candidate comes along who threatens the status quo. That's the real lesson of the Durham report, and we ignore it at our peril. Once again, makes me think of 1 Timothy chapter 2, why we need to pray for those in authority over us. Pray1tim2.org is a website you should get to, ASAP. Pray1tim2.org, which is where you find that scripture. Pick your state and get signed up for a daily email to pray for our elected officials. Because, boy, 
Do they need it? Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Ouch! The Dow Jones uh, down 336 points today. That's not great. Um, so we have to pay attention and, and get ourselves equipped to deal with the realities of what's going on in the financial world. Yesterday with my buddy Todd Von Helms uh, talking about our students today and as they progress from high school to college and college to career. Uh, what a great conversation that was. And I, I wanted to make sure we could have that conversation all the way to the end of the show. So our good friend David Fisher was kind enough, as always, to jump over so we can do a Money Monday update on a Tuesday. David, thanks as always. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, the markets are saying ouch today, but uh, yes. the Lord is still on the throne. So, Amen. Exactly right. So let's start by talking to him before anybody listens to us. And let's go to uh, his word, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. We'll start there. Love this passage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, and I think that's a key word there, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So obviously those of us who are believers understand that scripture that Jesus gave up his life, he shed his blood for us, the veil in the temple that only allowed the priests and the going to the Holy of Holies. Now that's been opened up for all of us and we can enter in confidence. I'm so reminded I was reflecting back on my life uh, not to make this about me, because it's not, but as we grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord of, of Jesus Christ, we we can understand really who we are in Christ, and we can have confidence in that He really has done the work so that we've been bought with such a great price, and we don't have to have penance and say and go through these rituals to have a uh, practicing the presence of God and having a relationship with Jesus in our life. And I've come kind of come to the place where I just, especially since my heart issues, I really look for the opportunity just to kind of practice the presence of God no matter what I'm doing. Am I always there? No, I have to be honest, but I'm still working at it. Yeah, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We're never alone, and it's such a great reminder. I, I love this passage and the reminder of uh, the the, uh, the veil in the temple, which the, the high priest going once a year, nobody has direct access, but then Jesus dies. The, vent, the veil is torn from top to bottom. That thing was about five inches thick. No man could do yep. that. And then a reminder to your point, David, when I'm pretty sure when the creator of the universe says it is finished, that yeah. that's a done deal. I'm pretty sure... You can take that to the bank, although not every bank would be a great place to take that, perhaps. <laughs> but man, from an eternal perspective and spiritually speaking, when he said it is finished, it is finished. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You have direct access to the Father, which is so awesome. What a great way to start. Thank you for that reminder. Well, my little joke there about banks. So let's get an update on how the banks are doing, regional banks and the FDIC, anything wild going on there, because that problem is not going away. Well, it's not wild. The commercial banks, their um, money still keeps coming out of the commercial banks. In the month of April, $360 billion came out of these commercial banks uh, last week, as much as $25 billion. So it just, it's not slowing down. It's, it's still at a pretty fast clip. Uh, as far as the lending side, uh, that's tumbled also 
commercial banks are not lending near as much money as they used to. They're down $16 billion for last week. Small banks are also down their loans and uh, issuing those are down $14 billion. So we're not doing well as far as the stock for um, regional banks. Here's the four major ones. PacWest down 80% year-to-date. First Horizon wow. down 58%. Western Alliance down 46%. Zions Bancorp down 51%. The index for regional banks is down uh, 35%. So even though the Fed is you know, not really raising rates aggressively, it looks like now, uh, the regional banks are still not doing well, even though they had an income, a net income. Four regional banks, the four largest ones, had uh, income of thirty, excuse me, three point two billion dollars. Obviously, investors and traders, Steve, are spooked big time by the results of uh, what's happening in the banking industry, and that's why they're pulling money out of the banks. Still, people are. Yep. Pay attention and pay attention to your own bank. Well, the uh, powers that be had a little powwow last week at the White House. That accomplished nothing. So we have this June 1st default date if the debt ceiling is not raised, uh, the, the government giving itself yet another credit card. So give us an update on that, please. So Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, uh, he has everything to lose and not much to gain if he doesn't strike a deal because they can oust him, uh, and that's how he got in office. But the big thing is they don't want to go through a 2011 scenario where we were within 48 hours of default under President Obama. We got a downgrade back then from Standard and Poor, uh, and gold spiked $250 in six weeks. The stock market crashed in about a four-month period of time. It was just not good, and eventually it took four years to get out of that hole. Um, but they're miles apart. $5 trillion is what McCarthy wants in spending cuts, and Biden is willing to agree to $20 billion. So that's really far apart. <laughs> <laughs> not even $20 billion, close. by the way, everybody, is, a, is, is not quite a day and a half in federal spending, $20 billion. <laughs> yes. So and that's just what they didn't spend for COVID. So the unpaid money. Uh, so McCarthy is saying that we're not in a good place with these debt ceiling talks, and Yellen is saying basically the same thing. She said today it's cons- very conceivable that is if we default. So they're all talking about this default, but they're all saying we're not going to default. So it's like which camp is it? I don't get it. Yeah. So it's the market doesn't know what to believe, and that's why we're seeing so much red today. Yeah, so I was going to ask about that. Obviously, the, the market having a bad, bad day today, down over three hundred points. Is it is it the de- is it the the bank situation? Is it the debt ceiling? Is it something else, or is it just a big uh, cocktail of all of it? It's it's a cocktail of two things: of the debt ceiling and the bank. What's happening in banks? So you know, there's we're in the four successive. A weekly outflow of money coming out of equities to the tune of $5.7 billion has come out uh, in the U.S. funds, in the U.S. US market. So um, Stanley Druckenmiller is saying he's a very well, uh, well-to-do man. He's $6.4 billion. He's 30 years into the market, a hedge fund manager, one of the most successful ones. He says, we're going to have a hard landing, a bad recession. So he makes no bones about it. That's what some of this is about. And also a big piece right now is the massive uncertainty, kind of going backwards to what we just talked about, the big banks. 
The FDIC now is asking to be bailed out. I was shocked when I read the article <laughs> last week. Check this out. So just those that are new to this, the FDIC did not bail out First Republic Bank, the third big bank that failed. They pushed that on, according to Bloomberg News. They went to J.P. Morgan and asked J.P. Morgan to bail them out, and J.P. Morgan did. So now there's no money in the FDIC coffers. And they're putting what you call a special assessment fee that passed the board members here yesterday or two days ago um, that, uh, that says we're going to assess a $50 billion fee on banks now on top of what they already pay to be an FDIC member. This is, would cost J.P. Morgan $1.7 billion per year for the next two years. Wow. The FDIC needs to be bailed out. This tells you really how insolvent the system completely is. That's why we're also seeing a lot of red. Yeah, a lot of, uh, again, it's a, it always reminds me of a shell game, and they're moving things around all the time so you can't figure out exactly where the truth is. Uh, as we learned with that video that you shared with us last year and is on your website at LandmarkGold.com where you can see them saying, yeah, yeah, we don't want this information coming out to the public. The public can't handle this yeah. kind of stuff because we'll have uh, fear and panic. Well, yeah, that's because that's what the truth can sometimes bring with it. How do, how do Americans, because obviously I think listening to uh, whether we're talking about gold and silver, listening to Glenn Beck, other shows, it's in the news. It's in the financial news. You can see it on Yahoo Finance, MSNBC, wherever. But so there's 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 the big central banks and every, all the big players in the gold and silver thing. But what about just regular Americans? How do regular Americans kind of feel about utilizing gold and silver as an aspect of what's going on right now? Well, our phones have been ringing off the hook, and we've done just the volume is off the charts. Like It's mm. like 2008 all over again. But wow. taking Landmark Capital out of it, there's a Gallup poll, ironically, that was done, Steve, and they reported 1,100, or excuse me, 1,013 Americans randomly across the board from April 3rd to April 25th. And the number one investment historically has been real estate. Stocks have been second, and gold has been way down on the list. Gold now is number two, and it's getting ready to pass real estate, according to this poll. So it's moved up into the second slot, and it's wow. right behind real estate. So this tells us Americans really are completely embracing the idea of a long-term hold in gold instead of choosing long-term hold in stocks and possibly long-term hold in real estate because the interest rates are so high. Yeah, because the fluctuation in the stock market, what you see happening in the real estate market, that's also going to happen in the commercial market, commercial real estate market. And I think a lot of people like, you know, does and then the de-dollarization, which we talk about, can you actually hold on to something that retains its value? That's amazing that gold is up to number two now. That's just mind-boggling to me. I'm going to have to look that one up. That's just amazing. So people want to get educated. That's the whole key here, David. What do they do? Give us a call, 844-604-2575. Again, 844-604-2575. Or website, landmarkgold.com. Excellent, David. God bless you. Great to hear from you. Thank you for that passage of Scripture. Have a great week, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you, my brother. You too, friend. Bye-bye. And that was uh, David Fisher. Again, LandmarkGold.com. As always, LandmarkGold.com. A lot of great information, a lot of great education, which we all need as things get wilder by the day. This is Steve Noble on The Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.